it's great to be able to gather with God's people to worship our awesome God together. Pray for our kids and our teachers <coughs> as they head on down and that they may have wisdom to ask all those wonderful questions that our children often ask. <coughs> it's great to have people walking. As a parent, it's great to have people walking with uh, me, with us, as we seek to be faithful disciples of our own children as well. So today we find ourselves at the end of Acts. I think I was told this about three, four times this morning. I don't know if this is a celebration or a mourning, maybe both, uh, but we are at the end of Acts. If you have a Bible with you, please open to Acts chapter 28, right before the book of Romans. It's on page 546 of the pew or the chair Bible in front of you. Uh, it's a blue Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you don't have one at home, I encourage you to take that. As hopefully has been very evident today, the word of God is incredibly important to us. It is the most precious and treasured thing that we can possibly give you, is the word of the Lord. Since our time together, uh, it's been about five years, we have gone through Galatians, Psalms, some Psalms, Minor Prophets, the Gospel of John, and now Acts. And I think it's been amazing to see how God continues to remind us of who he is and how he continues to work through his word. In the new year, we're actually going to take some time after our uh, Advent series to walk through Genesis. And by time, I mean a long time. Um, so we're going to take some time to do that. Uh, we're actually ordering some ESV journaling Bibles. So on one page would have God's word and the other side would have a blank sheet of paper. If you want to participate, if you want to have all of your notes and sermon stuff all in one place, um, we will have those available for you, hopefully in the new year. But Acts has been a good reminder to you and I, as we may often feel as though the gospel is losing ground. I don't know about you, but I often read the news and go, wow, what is going on in this world? But can anything hinder the gospel? I'm not saying that there won't be hardships, but 2,000 years later, Christ is still building his church. And we sit here in this room as the gathered church, as proof and evidence that Christ is continuing to build his church. So I ask you again, can anything hinder the gospel? And the answer is a resounding, good. This isn't a maybe statement. This is a sure statement. Christ has obtained his church by his blood, and the gates of hell will not prevail. That is God's promise. That is Christ's promise to his church. We can look throughout history, and we can see how the word of God has been trampled on, literally burned, literally thrown into jail, whatever it may be. But God's word stands true. That's why we gather and we preach God's word. We have seen John and Peter beaten. We've seen martyrs. We've seen conspiracies. We've seen maliciousness. We've seen denial of doctrines. We've seen challenges beyond belief, shipwrecks, whipping. And no matter what has happened in the book of Acts, no matter what has happened, the gospel has never been hindered. Not once. God sovereignly uses 
the church as his means to accomplish the mission of Jesus, to spread the message about Jesus. That is what we see over and over here in this book. Luke will continue this on as we continue to read God's word together. And Luke will close this account of how Christ builds his church with a resounding encouragement to you and for me today, reminding those who are in Christ of a certain hope. Not a hope like we hope that the Leafs win the Stanley Cup, which will never happen in my lifetime. I don't know if a lot of North American team, Canadian teams have had in my lifetime, actually. But how does the unhindered gospel affect you today in 2023? As we close this year off, if you have your Bibles with you, Acts 28, verses 17 to 31, the word of the Lord says this. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letter from Judea, about you, and none of the brothers coming here has spoken or has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying of the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And discouraging, um, uh, sorry, disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul and made one statement. And Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we come together to continue in our worship. Lord, this isn't a show. This is worship. So, Lord, I pray that we would listen with ears that are ready to continue in that worship. I pray that your word would continue to do what you said it will do. 
that it would not return in vain. Lord, I pray that you are glorified as we continue to worship, Lord. And I want to glorify you. And there's no possible way that I can make this turn out well on my own. So by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. God, I pray that you use this sermon to bring glory to your name above all things. May you increase, may I decrease, may we decrease. May you bring joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. So verses 17 to 22, Paul begins to give a report of the gospel to the Jews that are in Rome. He's trying to kind of get ahead of the game here. He, he's, every city he's gone into, the Jewish people have caused a ruckus and a revolt, essentially, and he wants to get ahead of the game. So he comes and he meets with the leaders, and he calls the leaders of the Jewish uh, community there in Rome, and he says this, I had done nothing against our people, meaning that he wasn't hostile towards them at all. He's establishing once again his case that he has done nothing to deserve what has happened to him. I have preached the gospel faithfully. I have done nothing. As in fact, he talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. Paul was after all that he was he was after all rescued from the Jews by the Romans while fulfilling the purification ceremonies that the law required. And Paul valued the unity of the church over his own rights. And that's why he was doing exactly what he was doing. He was willing to cater to the person of weaker faith in order to have more opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. This wasn't a gospel issue. He wasn't changing the gospel. He was just changing how he was acting. And Christ fulfilled the requirements of the law. So even though there was no longer a requirement to do these things, he continued to do them for the sake of the gospel. And we talked about this a few, few weeks ago, probably months ago now, of the importance of making sure that we aren't getting in the way of the gospel. In verse 20, he actually gives us the reason why he's in, these, in this chain. He says, because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Literally wearing a chain. He, had a, he was chained to a soldier at this time. And what is this hope? It is quite simple. It's Jesus Christ. It, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises and the prophecies. Including those related to the restoration of Israel. He is the he is, he is everything that we see. He is all the fulfillment of Scripture. Is that where our hope is found today? How does the hope of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, change you today? How does it change your attitude? How does, how does it change how you think about what is happening in this world? How did a hope-rooted in Christ changed Paul's perspective of the chain that was literally around his wrist. How would a hope rooted in Christ change how we look at our situation? Our health, our financial situation, whatever it may be. I, met, I meet with a pastor friends every month just to hold us each other accountable, to ask hard questions and pray for one another. 
And he asked me this one question after I was kind of sharing some of the things in my heart. And he says, why are you so fatalistic? Hard question. He's a good friend. And here's the reality is that there's no room for a fatalistic attitude for one who believes the gospel. There's no room. There's no room for despair or hopelessness or cynicism because belief in the gospel pushes all of that away. It's why we need to preach to ourselves each day and every day. It's why we sing and read God's word as we do. It's why we preach the gospel because the gospel is the hope in all circumstances. It changes how we look at our, our situations. It's how we can say, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice anytime, you know, possible. No, he says always. Rejoice always, he says. Pray without ceasing, he says. Give thanks just some of the time. No, in all circumstances, he says. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Meaning that the lens by which we are looking at everything in this world is through how Christ has died for our sins. Those are hard things to do when I feel like ne something never good will ever happen. But this I do know. That in Christ, if you have the gospel, you have a hope, a sure hope that can never be taken away. That is never going to change no matter what I go through. The gospel doesn't change our circumstances, but it changes the lens by which we see our circumstances. And that's how Paul can come along and say what he says. He says, I am wearing this chain, he says. Meaning, at this very moment, he was actually literally chained to some other smelly guy who probably had to bring him to the washroom, too. A constant reminder of why he was there. Every time that chain kind of rattled. Oh, yeah. I'm not my own right now. But this is something that, but is this something that will hinder the message about Jesus Christ? Absolutely not because we see in philippians 1 verses 12 to 14 i want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to i don't know stop the gospel no he says advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard literally the people who are watching over him he's like you think i'm chained to you no 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 my friend you're chained to me and I'm going to share you the, about the good news about Jesus Christ. The imperial guard, as he continues on, and to the, all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear, he says. The circumstances that Paul found himself while being chained to another soldier weren't a hindrance to the gospel, but a way to advance the gospel. God's economy is very different than how ours is. Pastor Matt talked about this last week, about detours. There's no such thing as a detour. There's nothing of waste in God's economy. Nothing that you're going through right now at this moment or anything that you have gone through in your whole entire life cannot, is something that will hinder the gospel. 
In fact, it can be used to advance the gospel. God uses the circumstances you're in as he's walking with you through them to advance the gospel and to encourage other brothers and sisters that are around you. The gospel doesn't allow us to wallow in self-pity because we have a hope that isn't based on circumstances, but on the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. So imagine how your circumstances, through the lens of the gospel, can be used to advance the gospel to those who are going through similar situations like you, but have no hope. Because you have hope, right? How can your circumstances encourage your brothers and your sisters that are around you today? Well, we might think, well, if she's going through that and still pointing people to the joy of the Lord, I can surely tell my co-worker about Christ. Look, stop believing the lie of the devil that the circumstances you are in is a waste of your time. Stop. And that there is no purpose. It is a lie of the devil. It is counter to God's word. So stop. Preach to yourself the gospel. Preach to each other the gospel. Remind each other daily of how Jesus has obtained you by his blood and let that be the lens you see your life through. Just like Paul, who was chained to a soldier for the preaching of the hope of Israel. He is consumed by the gospel. It is his passion. To say that God is sovereign is talking about God's rights and power to do what he wills, which every God if there were other false gods, but there's not, does. But God is providential. Our God is providential. That means that God's sovereign will is with design and purpose. See how even the chain that Paul is tied to has a purpose. See how all the shipwrecks and the beatings and the whippings have purpose. Rooted in this, Jesus commanded his disciples in Acts 1, verse 8, the very sermon we preached. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As Jesus promises Paul in Acts 23, take courage. For as you have testified to the fact about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Rome is not the end of the earth, but it is at this time the center. And the gospel will continue to go out to the ends of the earth. And God has uniquely placed Nowood Baptist Church in London, Ontario, Canada for the very same purpose. To go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that we may be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. To proclaim the hope of Israel to those in London who are still in darkness. That Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, 
that this long promised Messiah was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life who, being fully human and fully God, was put to death on a Roman cross, meaning that he did actually die, die. To the point that he was buried in a tomb. He was taken down from that cross and, and buried in a tomb. But this wasn't an accident. For the death of Jesus was a substitutionary death. He was dying in the place of someone else. Meaning that the death that Jesus died was for all those who repent, who turn away from their sin and believe, having faith in Jesus alone to save them. Because we have all been born with an inclination to sin. Not one person in this room, in this world, does not have an inclination to sin. All of us have sinned in real time. That God told the first, the first man, Adam, that if he sinned, he would surely die. And that the penalty for that sin would be death. But the message of the gospel is that Jesus came to die in our place. He took our sin on himself. He imputed, his righteousness has been imputed upon us. And suffered the punishments of God in our place. But he doesn't stay dead, does he? And that's why Paul's in trouble. He preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't have a God who died and was stuck in a tomb somewhere. We can witness and go on a touring spree or whatever. The grave is empty. He is victorious. We serve a victorious king. And we get the opportunity to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And that gives us hope in all circumstances. That is the hope realized. Jesus is our hope. But we see in verses 21 to 22... You can kind of imagine Paul comes, he takes the time to go tell all of these Jews about how much trouble he's been in Jerusalem and why he's there. And then they reply with, I don't even know who you are. It's kind of demoralizing in my mind, but we don't know why. It could be the winter traveling. We saw with Pastor Chris and Pastor Matt that the trek from Jerusalem to Rome was not exactly the easiest. It was hard. The winter traveling was slow. So maybe the letters got lost or the representatives got lost. But the reality is, probably more likely, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem never sent anyone because they knew they didn't have a leg to stand on. See, the reason for why Paul was where he was was because he was seeking to proclaim the hope that the Old Testament spoke of we too may find ourselves in situations for proclaiming the hope of the gospel. But that doesn't mean that the gospel is hindered, but can be used as a way to advance the gospel. There's nothing of wasting God's economy. Paul will now use this time to even try and persuade other people, as we see in verses 23 to 28, as he seeks to persuade those people with the gospel. So the day arrives a few days later, and more people show up. And Paul takes the time to teach them the whole day. From morning to evening, he just speaks. Paul did this a few ways, as we see in verse 23. He expounded the word of God. He testifies of the word of God. 
and he also tried to convince. And Paul longed for his brothers and his sisters of his own race to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He does. His heart breaks for them. And a lot of these parallels that we see within these few verses, you can actually see in Romans 11. His heart longs that they may know Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a strong emotional part to what he's saying here. So that they may see the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises fulfilled in Christ. So let me ask you this question as I see here. Do you have a similar passion for testifying of the gospel that Paul does? This is what the gospel has done in his heart. The Holy Spirit has transformed his priorities completely different, that even a chain becomes an opportunity. Do we have a heart that longs for the conversion of our neighbors and our family, family members just like Paul? Do we long to see our fellow citizens of this great country know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? How about those around the world? How does he seek to persuade? He does it in a few ways. He testifies of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God is a good question. You go, yeah, that's true, Pastor Nate. Paul pointed to a kingdom that isn't a political or national identity, but a spiritual reign of Christ in the hearts of the Christians. It's a already, but not yet. The kingdom of God is already here in a spiritual sense when Christ first came and died on the cross, but there is a consummation that still is waiting that will come when Jesus comes back because Jesus is coming back. And he's trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Paul uses no other means in his conversation right here but the exposition of God's word as he talks to other people. Why? Because it's the power, because it has the power to convert someone from darkness to light. As it were, as the Holy Spirit uses it. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate cause, and the Holy Spirit uses the faithful and earnest exposition and application of God's word to convict people of their sin and their need of a savior and to call them from that darkness of light into from that darkness and into light. There's no other thing he uses. Look, if the gospel hasn't been hindered, why in the world would Paul use any other means? Why would we use any other means? You know, knowing good arguments and knowing science is important. Okay, don't, someone's going to come to me and say, Pastor Nate's a bigot or something, he doesn't like science. That's not the truth. But they're not going to be convinced and convicted of their sin because of my well-oiled arguments of science. That doesn't move them from darkness to light. Only the power of the Holy Spirit through his word has the ability to convict people of sin and to tell them that there is a Savior who can save them from that sin. So Paul puts his truth on that. You know, good music that is singable on Sunday is a great thing, right? Praise God, I love this church. We have a great music ministry here. If you haven't told people that, you need to tell people that. But is it able to save? No. So what are we going to build our lives on? What is Nola Baptist Church going to build itself on? 
It has to be the gospel. Why does he use, why does Paul use the Bible? It's because here we see the hope of Jesus Christ. I think back to what Jesus talks to, to the disciples in Luke 24, verse 27, on the road to Aramaeus, where he is interpreting to them all the scriptures of the things concerning himself, he says, Luke says. The Bible promises a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. He is the hope of Israel. So Paul preaching nothing else but Christ and him crucified. Jesus is the point of the Bible. And the Bible is really just a story from Genesis to Revelation of God's redemption of a lost and rebellious sinners like you and me. Through his son, Jesus Christ. Is Jesus your hope? If you've repented and believed the gospel, Jesus is your hope. This is why we seek to preach Christ and him crucified. It is by faith in him that we know for sure that we are forgiven and have a promise of eternal life. This is the hope that allows us to say, along with Paul to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 15, when the perishable becomes imperishable and the mortal becomes immortal, immortality, then shall come to pass the things that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One commentary put it this way, and I love how they say this. Our witness and preaching must draw attention to the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ. And what a thrilling and challenging message it is. On the throne of heaven sits one who has walked on this earth and felt the pain and hurt associated with a fallen world. The king of kings knows the pain of denial, loneliness, and death. The one who holds the universe in his hands has uttered, I thirst. The kingship of Jesus warns the unrepentance of hell and eternal darkness, but it comforts and reassures Christians. He is able to sympathize with our weakness. We don't get that unless we preach the Bible. And this is why Paul preaches the Bible. This is why we preach the gospel. It is what reminds us of our hope. It is the only thing that will not be hindered. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It can't be stopped. It can't be burned. Why would we use anything else? So in verse 25, Paul gives a warning to those who reject as some begin to believe, but others are continuing to disbelieve. He says, to your fathers, and essentially he's saying, just like your dads, you're just like your dads. You know, I think of that, I'm a father myself. I think of that with my, my father, and I say things to my kids, and I go, oh man, that sounds like my dad. In this case, talking about salvation the holy spirit was right in saying to your fathers he says it is the holy spirit who divinely authored the bible and when we when we read this we are coming face to face with god this is how god 
has chosen to specifically reveal himself to us, and that's why it's authoritative. It's why we always seem to ask, what does the Bible say? So in verse 26 to 27, he begins to quote Isaiah 6, verses 9 to 10. And God comes and he commissions Isaiah. Uh, one of our men's groups is actually going through Isaiah right now. I don't know where they are right now, but they're in Isaiah. And hopefully they've gotten here before. But they're in Isaiah. He's in, here in Isaiah 6. God is commissioning Isaiah, who is a prophet, to go and declare the truth to a people that will not hear. Talk about brutal. Sometimes we whine and complain about how people don't listen to us as we preach the gospel. I know, you know, on Fridays, during the week, Sundays. But nowhere have I been promised that no one will not hear. These are the same verses that Jesus spoke to the Jewish people, the same thing. Even though the Jews would have eyes to see and ears to hear, they don't have the hearts to believe what they are seeing. And Paul is simply being faithful while understanding that it is God who will make his witness effective. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14, it says this, But their minds were hardened. But to this day, when they read the Old Testament, talking about the Jews, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. It's important to understand something that's uh, that Paul is really talking about here. Faith does not, being part of the people of God is not dependent upon your ethnicity, but faith in Jesus Christ. To be part of the people of God means to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. It does not matter what ethnicity you are if you continue to deny Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There is only one people of God. And the only way to be part of the people of God is through repentance and belief. In Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 11 talks about that. Hebrews 12 talks about that. Romans 11 talks about that. But let us also remind ourselves that Hebrews, Romans 11, does Paul isn't written off his people. He still longs for them to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And there is a mystery that happens in there. And we rest in God. Our job is to be faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. It is God who makes it effective. So with a voice of finality that we see in verse 28, the gospel will now go to the Gentiles because they will listen. And again, Romans 11 touches upon this. In verse 11 it says, So I ask you, did they, the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make the Israel jealous. Meaning that even in this time, God has a purpose and a plan. Through faith in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles become part of the people of God. The gospel will not be hindered. It will not be held back. So let's be bold with declaring the hope to the nations. Let us use the gospel and try to persuade, often with tear-filled eyes, if I, I had an, I've heard, I heard a video once of an atheist talking about this, an atheist of all people, and I thought, man, you're preaching the gospel more than, and I, I, I was listening to him, and he said, look, 
if Christians truly loved me and they truly understood the depths of hell, that I am a hell-bound man, they would tell me about the gospel. Because it is the only thing that is the power of our salvation. For a true Jew, second to the Gentiles. So Paul is an example for us today. As we see in verses 30 to 31, how the gospel is not hindered. So in verse 30, we see that he's lived here now for two whole years. Is that a waste of time? No. Remember, Paul's even used the chain that he's tied to to the soldier as an opportunity for a captive audience. Can you just imagine this poor soldier? He's like, who's, who's in prison here? And Paul's like, I'm not in prison. It's during this time while he is in prison that he begins to, con- sorry, he doesn't, he c- continues to preach the hope of Israel. Think about this. If God is sovereign and providential, what in the world could hinder his plans and purposes? The answer is nothing. I'm going to give it to you. Has there been anything in Acts that has shown us, as we've walked through it over the last two or so years, has there been anything in Acts that gives a hint that God is not in control? No. The answer is no. So what in the world will hinder him from sovereignly using his church to accomplish his mission to spread his message to the ends of the earth? Brothers and sisters, is this your hope? What is the object of your faith today? Is not our God great? When we look at the gospel, we see the greatness of God. I was reminded of this this week, because in my personal time, I'm walking through Job, which is heavy. Job is not hard to understand, I find. It's hard to submit to, if that makes sense. I get it. I do. But sometimes, in Job 40, verse 8, God replies to Job. When Job actually begins to sin, I would say at this moment, because in in chapter 41, he actually repents. But God begins to address Job's heart. And in one of the many questions that he just asks, in verse 8 to 9, he says this, Will you even put me in the wrong, God says to Job? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Paul didn't know the why, but he did know the who, the who. And his faith was anchored to that. So he continues to proclaim the unhindered gospel that spoke of the one who is mighty. It was during these two years of imprisonment that he wrote letters to the church in Ephesus, to the church in in Philippi, Colossae, and to a personal letter to Philemon. Turn with me quickly to Philippians. Philippians 2. 
because it amazes me that these letters were written while Paul was in chains for the very things he's writing about. Because he, he, he reads in Philippians 2, verse 14, he says this, do all things without grumbling or dispute. You're in prison, Paul, for preaching the gospel, being faithful and obedient to God. You're in prison. If people had a right to be grumbling or disputing at something, Paul might. He continues on. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Meaning uh, how we interact with the circumstances that are in this world are part of our witness. Among whom you shine as a light in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. It's amazing how context brings a lot more power to words. And Paul wrote these words and so many others that speak of the greatness of Jesus while in prison for preaching of the hope of the gospel. And were these circumstances wasted? Absolutely not. The gospel doesn't change our circumstances. The gospel changes how we see our circumstances. What has God put you in that will uniquely enable you to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose again from the dead? And he does this all at his own expense, welcoming all those with into his own home. So in verse 31, don't miss this. For two years, Luke wants us to see something very important. He does it with boldness, which means he's holding nothing back, and the gospel is not hindered. It's a legal term, actually. The final word is a legal expression. It's saying a very pointed thing, that God's word is victorious. The gospel began in Jerusalem, but it won't finish in Rome. Paul may have been hindered, but the gospel wasn't. God's purposes will go on no matter what, and God will do what he purposed to happen in the gathering of his people through the preaching of his word. What a great reminder it is for you and I today. What can stop the gospel? When we started walking through Acts, we learned that God sovereignly uses the church as his means to accomplish the mission of Jesus to spread the message about Jesus. So the so what, as we conclude this time of Acts together, is pretty much the same. The consuming passion of the church is to be on Jesus' mission to spread the unhindered message about Jesus. Why? Because the gospel can't be hindered. We live in a time where it's tempted to become fatalistic, but for 2,000 years, the gospel has spread from Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It is the hope of the nations. The mission is not done yet. In fact, your mission isn't done yet until you're buried and in the presence of the very one you claim to have hope in. 
Maybe I should say this to the seniors. God's not done with you yet. If you've got a breath in your lungs, you still have a mission. Declare the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're in university, your studies don't trump the mission. Declare the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're at work, declare the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because our resurrected king will one day return to judge the living and the dead, and we should desire that all may hear the gospel. How do we do that? Colossians 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal. That is why we gather. That is why we are the church gathered, gathering together as a whole community to make much of Jesus through expository preaching and singing songs that testify of the richness of Jesus. That's why we're in a church community as we intentionally seek to be in community together and open God's word together. But if the, com sorry, if, if the consuming passion of the church is to be on Jesus' mission to spread the unhindered message about Jesus, to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ, that means we must also be the church in the city as we go out as individuals. So is it too big of a prayer that God may use us, Knollwood Baptist Church, to send out missionaries in the next five years? Is it too big of a prayer that God would use Knollwood Baptist Church to plant a church in London so that more may hear the good news of Jesus Christ? I think we pray small prayers because we believe our God to be small. But let me say this again. Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? There's nothing that will hinder the gospel. There will be hardships, but absolutely nothing will stop this. The consuming passion of the church is to be on Jesus' mission to spread the unhindered message about Jesus. And as we close our sermon series, Walking Through Acts, will you pray with me? I'm really asking you to pray with me. Will you pray with me? And in your mind, say, yes, pastor, I will. That we would be this. Let that start with individuals as we go home. Let this be us as a church, as we seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we close our service, will you stand with me and sing these beautiful reminder of the unhindered gospel? Will you sing with me of the hope that springs eternal? Will you confess with me of Christ, our hope in life and death? Oh, sing hallelujah, the song says. Oh, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. How, now and ever we confess Christ, our hope in life and death. Lord, I pray that we will have a renewed sense of the power of the gospel and how to and how it will not be hindered i pray that we will have that we will proclaim the kingdom of god and teach about the lord jesus with all boldness knowing that the gospel will never be hindered god i pray that we will be that we will be used to plant more churches here in london and throughout this world i pray this will be a burden and a consuming passion of us all 
to be on your mission to spread your message wherever you bring us. Amen. God's word to us as we finish off and ask, won't you stand with us, church, as we sing?